be reading a significant portion of Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to be starting at verse 14. If you have your Bibles, um, it's up on the screen, but I'm going to be reading almost down to the end of the chapter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let, it, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thank you, God, for your word. You may all go home now. <laughs> That's a big chunk of Acts chapter 2, I know. But I actually think it's probably the most important part of Acts chapter 2. We tend not to think it that way, but I think as we map out this morning in a message that I've titled, Transformational Power. Transformational Power. 
I want us to understand that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the new creation key, as it were, because Jesus has risen from the dead. It's the new creation key to the transforming power of the resurrected and ascended Christ. Tongues is simply the proof of something deeply significant that happened that day. It is not the purpose for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is simply the proof. And that is what we're going to map out as we go through Acts chapter 2. Because it's one of the pivotal chapters in the New Testament. If not, in my opinion, probably the pivotal chapter in all of Holy Scripture. New creation is launched. The Holy Spirit is pouring out upon humanity again because we are made right with God. It doesn't get any better than Acts chapter 2. It just doesn't get any better. It is the moment of promises fulfilled and the breaking in of heaven upon earth. Wait in Jerusalem and just see what kind of things are going to happen. That moment of absolute transformation for a ragtag group of people and a bunch of misfits were turned in an instant into world changers. Where a mere 380 years on, Christianity itself would bring down the Roman Empire as they converted to this religion that started with 11 dysfunctional men in an upper room and a bunch of other women who were there who I don't say were dysfunctional because, well, that's another sermon. They weren't dysfunctional. The men were moving on. Because we could get off on a tangent there, but we won't. And as we tackle chapter 2, the tendency for us is to do what? To focus on particular things, the exciting things, the breakout moments, as it were, in chapter 2. It's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit where the wind comes and the fire comes and all of these things happen. And that isn't wrong. In fact, it's essential that we understand that. It's just not the whole story in Acts chapter 2. As we dissect this, we're going to discover that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is seen actually in the middle of it. Verses 1 through 4, this is how we usually break it up. We look at the first four verses and we go, okay, there's the proof of the baptism. They're all in the upper room. Things get really wonky all of a sudden. The wind comes, things start to shake, and they all start talking funny. But do they? They don't. Because when you look at verses 5 through 11, we discover that everybody can understand them. But again, that also is for another time. And then we just kind of jump to verse 42 to 47 to see the picture-perfect church. Oh, this is how we're all supposed to be, you see. It's the fruit of the baptism. Everybody's playing well together in the sandbox. Everybody's great friends. We're just one big happy family. Well, that lasted until Acts chapter 5. So we understand that that's not exactly how it works when we all gather together the way we do. We have to work towards that. And that's how we take a look at chapter 2. But when we tackle verses 5 through 41, it shows us the power and the purpose of baptism in the Holy Spirit. The power and the purpose of baptism. It's the power to witness the gospel and to lay out why Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, is the one and only answer to every question this world would ever have. That's the purpose and the power that comes from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, the baptism itself really starts with the transformed life. It starts with a transformed life. Because as we take a look at this Peter, this guy that appears you know, once again on the scene for us, we discover the same human being. And follow me in this. He is the same human being we have known throughout the Gospels. He hasn't changed. Oh, but he has. Because this Peter is not the same man. He's the same human being, but he is not the same man. We do not see anything of the arrogant man of the boastful man, 
of the fickle human being, the unstable one whom Jesus prophetically said, you will be the rock to bring stability to this group of people behind you. It's kind of funny when you read the Gospels without knowing the end game. How could that be? Because what we find here in Acts chapter 2, once Peter is baptized in the Holy Spirit, is a preacher, a courageous man, a man who opens up the prophetic utterances of that ancient prophetic book, Joel, and says, this is what's going on here. He applies it to the people who are listening to what he has to say. So what's the difference between the then Peter and the now Peter, the guy that we see in the Gospels and this fellow that we see in Acts chapter 2? There's a whole lot to think about if we compare those garden moments and that moment in the courtyard on the night that Jesus was betrayed with this upper room and temple experience that we see unfold for us in Acts chapter 2. Totally different. In one, we see Peter perhaps at his worst. In fact, it probably is at his worst. You can't get any lower than Peter got. In the other that we see here in Acts chapter 2, well, you would think it wasn't the same guy with the boldness that he shows. And, and, and the really, really, he is a different man, isn't he? Again, the same human being, but he's a different man. He's a changed man. And what is the significant difference that occurred? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's a transformed life. It's not just a momentary experience. It's a transformed life. He went into that upper room one way. He came out of that upper room an entirely different way. You see, I, I am the same human being who arrived in Vermont some 33 years ago. But I am not the same man. And while some of that has to do with age and some of that has to do with, you know, a little bit of wisdom, I hope, there's a lot more to it that makes the difference of who I am as a man today than that 17-year-old kid who had wrecked his world, wrecked relationships, and wrecked his education. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was finding who Jesus was that transformed my life. Same human being, different man. And I suspect as I look around this room this morning, those of you who know Jesus as Lord and King would have the same exact story. You are not who you were before you had that encounter with him. If you are, I suspect you haven't had that encounter with him. Because nobody meets Jesus anywhere and walks away the same person. You see, Luke records for us two Apostle Peters. Not a crazy guy and not two imitations. But he records for us two Apostle Peters, the before and the after. And it's essential for us to see that. And I think it's actually good that we walk through it. Because in Luke's gospel, this is what he records for us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, remember. Jesus is brought into the temple area. John, the, the beloved, takes right off after him. Peter's kind of hanging back, hedging his bets, the bold man that he was. Peter was following at a distance, the historian Luke tells us. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. He's been found out. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Well, this little conversation continues around the fire with two other people challenging Peter that you were with him 
Your accent gives you away. You know him. He denies that he even had any idea who this Jesus was. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that it was a servant girl that scared him. Okay? Because, you know, sometimes when, when you ladies are on to something, we husbands, if we're smart, understand that we ought to be a little bit scared. But the point that is being made here is that this young girl who Peter knows nothing about intimidates him to the point where he denies the very fact that he even knows Jesus. And after a couple of other people ask, Luke records what I find to be the most haunting statement, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. Luke twenty-two sixty-one. the first part of that verse says, The minute that Peter denied him the third time, the rooster began to crow, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, how would you feel if you were Peter? I wouldn't feel very good. Could you imagine? Pride, arrogance, self-effort, self-ability, self-sufficiency, all pours itself out of Peter right at that moment. Oh, I'm a big man. I won't deny you. Oh, I don't know who he is. Don't hurt me, please. We all can do that because you know what? Let's think about ourselves. Pride, self-effort, arrogance, self-ability. They will carry us. They will carry us, but they will only carry us so far. At some point, we will hit a wall. Like Peter, we will fail to perform, even to our own set of expectations, and we will find ourselves coming up short on a regular basis, leaving us empty, leaving us lonely, leaving us guilty and wondering if we will ever, ever measure up. And that's where Peter found himself at that moment. I got some good news for you. The answer is, is ain't none of you ever going to measure up. Neither am I. And the even better news is that we don't have to. We do not have to. Why? Because you stand and I stand because Jesus makes us to stand. It is the only reason why we stand. I will never make the mark, but I don't have to, and neither do you. Peter will learn that as we move along here. You see, it's the reason why he was told that these men, he told these men and these women, stay in Jerusalem. Don't take off out of here. I know what it's going to look like when you do it on your own effort. Man, you can't get from Monday to Tuesday without screwing things up. Stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you what I've been working with, for the three and a half years that I've had my ministry. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I promise you, if they hadn't stayed, we wouldn't be here. Because they were the biggest group of circus clowns you could ever assemble together and then entrust with the gospel of Jesus to go evangelize the world. And I'm not being insulting. Read the gospels. It's the only thing that gives me hope. Because I'm just as bad as they are. I am real big in my talk on some days, and I'm an epic failure on others. Stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the power that I have operated under. And you are going to see something weird happen. It's a good weird, but it's going to happen. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which will give you the power to live the transformed life that you need to live. How do I know that? Acts chapter 2, that's how I know that. 
It's significantly different from receiving the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus as Lord and King. John chapter 20, I leave that for your homework, but John chapter 20, Jesus goes into the upper room, walks through the wall. Pretty cool trick, right? Well, that's the resurrected body. Wait till you get there, you'll figure out how it works. I don't get it either, but there you have it. They identify him for who he says he is, both Lord and King. He breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. That is the salvation moment for the people. The minute we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit is imparted to us. That is not the same thing that happens in Acts chapter 2. Sometimes I wish that there were no teaching on this as opposed to all the bad teaching that happens on this. Those are two different things. I have had to sit down and counsel with some severely broken-hearted people who think that they don't have the Holy Spirit in them because they don't speak in tongues. That is not a biblical truth. It simply is not. The moment you receive Jesus as Lord and King, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is for a significantly different purpose. And that's what we're looking at. So in the 17 minutes and 57 seconds that we have left, let's take a look at what that actually is. Because it's Peter here on what we assume to be the temple steps, not John the Beloved. It's interesting, isn't it? John had the courage to follow Jesus all the way in, but who does he use on the day of Pentecost, Peter. Peter. He stands up before the very people who a short 50 days prior were involved with a conspiracy to kill the person he's going to proclaim to them as both Lord and King. And what does he do? Does he get up to talk about how tongues are the greatest thing in the world and y'all need that? I'm Pentecostal, I speak in tongues, so, and we're being recorded, so you know, I, I am being held accountable. Thank you, General Counsel. Moving on. What does he stand up to do? To preach the gospel. That's what he does. To witness to what it is they saw. Fundamentally different. He is the same man who couldn't admit that he even knew this Jesus to a servant girl whom he didn't even know a short month and a half prior to this. Instead, we have a man who is going to rebuke and school all of the educated leaders and all of the people who are listening to them right there on the temple steps. This is good stuff. Frankly, I'd have been horrified. And I'm sure that Peter was. But Peter, standing with the 11, so they were all together, it wasn't, oh, well, you know, what does Thomas really think about the deal? No, they're all right there. Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, almost tongue-in-cheek, look at it, ain't late enough in the day for us to be on a bender yet. But these ladies and these guys are not drunk. Don't mock them. No, this is the promise that all of you people here ought to know about. They can see them on the temple steps. You were supposed to know all this stuff. You should know this. So what does Peter do? He launches right into it. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I shall pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. It's pretty clear. 
to us, but apparently not to them. Because you see, the sign of the age to come, as it were, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in his people. Not just in Jesus, but the sign of the age to come, according to the prophet Joel, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in his people, working in and through his people with the gifts of all of the things that were listed. F.F. Bruce says this, and I think it was helpful. It was helpful for me. He says, Joel, like other Old Testament prophets, had spoken of what was going to take place in the last days. Peter's quotation of his prophecy means that these days, these days, the days of fulfillment of God's purpose have arrived. We are in the last days. We are in the age to come. The Spirit has been poured out. He's available. You should understand this, I can hear Peter saying. Why aren't you getting it? It's pretty clear in the Scriptures. But it seems in the moment here that you're not getting it. But you're still listening. Because there's something that's going on here. And I find it absolutely fascinating. Remember, 50 days before, what were the crowds screaming? Crucify. Crucify. Right? It's not what's going on here. Something is happening here in the hearts of this people. God is beginning to work on them. Why? Because of Peter's obedience to say what the Holy Spirit leads him to say. Hearts begin to soften in the crowd. Eyes begin to open. Ears begin to hear what's being said. We're not getting shouts of stone them, throw them off the cliff, none of this. We have people listening. What's going on? We need to understand something here. Peter's a changed man, but the same human being. We need to understand that we can never think that by your or by my effort, people believe. Oh, we, we are called to obedience and to share and to give testimony to who Jesus is and what it is he's done for us. But it is not by your effort or my effort at all that people believe. Not at all. Paul says that we are just simply unprofitable servants doing what God has called us to do through his Holy Spirit. And that's simply what Peter's doing. Okay, Lord, what, what do I need to say to these people? You see, because the rest is up to him. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to the Lord. It is the voice of obedient men and women everywhere imploring people on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Don't complicate the message. Be reconciled to God. Yes, the world is falling apart. It's because people aren't reconciled to God. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. It's because people aren't reconciled to God. You come to Him, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and soften your hearts. Because frankly, it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that people listen and believe. It is only through the ministry, the power, the Holy Spirit that people listen and believe. We are called to simple obedience and we let God sort out the rest, don't we? That's what we do. Because Peter, after sorting out the fact here that they aren't drunk, he opens up the window to their souls. Men of Israel, hear the words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's the sovereign will of our King. God in heaven, that's his sovereign will. But we're not off the hook. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's the free will of man. Don't think that we're just mindless robots here. No, no. Not off the hook that easy. God's sovereign plan was this. You were part of that sovereign plan and you chose poorly. You chose poorly. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, it was God's will that Jesus be delivered to death. That's verse 23. And that seems harsh, but let's think about this for a minute. We need to make no mistake. Peter's saying, you willingly delivered him up. You didn't have to, but you did. But you did. You think this is the same Peter? No. No. You see, it was the purpose and plan of God from the beginning. And I find it fascinating again here that this ignorant, quotes, this ignorant, uneducated fisherman brings biblical commentary forward now from the 16th Psalm. He's already opened up the prophet Joel. Now he's going to open up the Psalms to these people who should know better, letting them know that David was talking about Jesus and not himself. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. See, David's grave was still available to go visit. We find that out. We'll see in a second. There was a body in that grave. So David couldn't have been talking about himself. No, prophetically, because David was not only a king, but he was gifted prophetically, he was speaking about his offspring who wouldn't die. That promise that God had given him that there would always be someone to sit on your throne forever. Peter's saying, David was talking about what you now see. This ignorant fisherman who couldn't admit he knew Jesus to a girl. This is the Jesus whom you crucified. Now, this is still the same unstable dude. It's the same human being, totally different man. Before being baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter had an unbelievable gift of writing a lot of checks with his mouth that the rest of his body could never cash. And he would always end up in a bad way. But here we have a very different man. What is the one difference? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Transformed from within. Filled with the power to witness. How do we know that? Proven because he spoke in tongues. And that's how it works. He lays out the gospel from what David had written over a millennia before. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. Reminding them, go visit it if you wish. Obviously, he wasn't talking about him. He establishes it's not David. Then he continues, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. It means we've seen it. It's not a story we're making up. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. See, this is the long introduction to the short introduction to the old rugged cross. We aren't drunk. And for the next hour, he explains to them why they're not drunk. It's the outpouring that God promised. Three points in a prayer. It writes itself. It'd be a great Baptist sermon if it wasn't the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But there it is, right in there. I'm sure someone will write me. That's okay. I'll answer you. It's not a problem. 
whatever. David foresaw it. God did it. He is empowered and he has promised. And that is what he has done. You can't get any more clear and concise from this guy who couldn't even admit he knew Jesus. Now for the proclamation and prayer. We're going to bring it home, or as I like to say, the Apostle Peter tells him, we are now going to land the plane. That's what he's going to do. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Those are some big words there. And, and not the crucified thing. The big words here are, let it be known therefore for certain. The old Peter was certain about one thing, his uncertainty. He was certain about a lot of things, but the minute he'd get in the middle of it, he'd be a little shaky. The boat, for example, oh, if it's you, Lord, let me step out. How'd that work for him? He was really sure. He's the only one that had the courage to step out. Things got a little shaky, though, right? Okay, for certain has never been Peter's strong suit, but he is now. He is now. He's certain of what? He is certain that God, because of Jesus' complete obedience, has made Jesus Lord, Christ, King. Here it is. Do what you will with me. I've seen him alive. I've got nothing else for you. It's the one-string banjo whom you crucified because the Holy Spirit filled Peter and because Peter was simply being obedient to do his part. So make no mistake, each one of you sitting here has a part to play within the community of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter was just doing his part. The Holy Spirit was preparing the hearts for the very genuine question that came from the crowd. Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, guilty as charged, I need a little direction. What shall we do? You see, too often the baptism is sought for the express purpose of it's proof. Tongues. And there's nothing wrong with that. As I've said, you know, some people think that they're a little bit less of a Christian because they haven't gotten the gift of tongues. But you see, the reason why the baptism in the Holy Spirit is oftentimes missed is because we are not seeking it for its intended purpose. We are seeking it for its proof. We want tongues. We don't want the power to witness. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not for tongues. Tongues is the proof. It is for the power to witness the gospel. That's what Peter lays out for us. You want to see what the baptism in the Holy Spirit does? Acts chapter 2. Look at how Peter laid it out. Tongues here is not, nor was it ever, the intent and purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was merely proof that they were baptized and very symbolic in a literal way of the new creation that had been launched with a resurrection. And I'm running out of time. But I just want to lay this out before you very quickly and then we will close. In Genesis chapter 11, what happened? God did what to people? The Tower of Babel. He confused their language. Why? Because Genesis chapter 11 was the absolute outworking of the curse and rebellion against God. And God said, can't have it. He confused their language. 
Fast forward to Acts chapter 2 and the verses 5 through 11 that I didn't talk about today. What's going on there? There's a verse in there that says, everybody heard the praises of God. How? In their own languages. You see, what's going on there is the reversing of the curse. Why? Because the king is alive. Jesus has walked out of the tomb. Sin no longer has power over you. Death doesn't even rule. It doesn't have the last say anymore. Jesus made sure of that. How do I know? Ain't no body in the tomb. So tongues were a sign of the infilling. Seek the baptism for the power. You'll end up with tongues, I promise you. Lord wrecked my world all in one night. Apparently he didn't want to waste his time. I came to Jesus. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Screw with my mind for about two weeks, but there you have it. It was wonderful, but I had no map. Just a heathen trying to figure out what kind of thing was going on at the church. I think sometimes he works best in people who don't have any expectations. See, the baptism is and always has been for the power to witness, the power to walk out a transformed life, what I call the cruciformed life, filled with purpose and mission in this world. And you know who is our best example? Jesus himself because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as fully God, and more importantly, fully man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he showed us how we can live. That transformed, cruciformed, baptized life. That's why when we get into the gifts in another two weeks and we wrap up Jonah, we discover that healing is for today. Prophecy is for today. Tongues is for today. All of those things are for today, done in a fitting and orderly way. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it says we can cluck like chickens and bark like dogs and run around like crazy people. But it says that he will work through his people, through these gifts, prophetic utterances, dreams, visions, tongues, interpretation. All of this is poured out, and Jesus is the example and I close with this because I am out of time, but I have more to talk about, but I don't. Peter and the others never went back to their way of life, did they? They simply didn't. They went where God called them to go, and all but one died a martyr's death. All but one. Every one of them hid the night Jesus was betrayed. The Bible tells us. Everyone except John the Apostle died a martyr's death in the preaching of the gospel. What is the one and only significant thing that was different? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were, guess what? Baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I've yet to meet a pastor who wouldn't like to have a Sunday morning like that. But it's not necessarily the 3,000 souls, is it? Not in my mind. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to have 3,000 souls come to Christ. That'd be wonderful. 
But you know what it was? It was the baptism in the Holy Spirit that brought Peter to the place where he realized that without Christ, I'm nothing. But with him, I can do anything. Including stand in front of the crowd that was involved in crucifying my Lord and King and take them to the cleaners and then give them the same thing that Jesus gave me. Salvation, baptism, new life, transformed life. Let's stand. Those people who can pray with folks, I would appreciate it if you would take your spot. Father, I don't even pretend to know what to pray. But I know that you hear what we pray. And I would ask, Lord, that if our hearts are stirred this morning, we want your will. Your will is that we be obedient children. Your will is that we be filled with your presence. Every person here today who knows Jesus already has your Holy Spirit. But if there are those who have been struggling and wondering what your baptism is about, Lord, what the infilling of your Spirit is about, today's a great day to step out and just ask for prayer. And because your pastor doesn't even know what to pray, it's okay that perhaps nobody else does either. We are just obedient people. I want to challenge you this morning. There are folks up front who are very willing to pray for you and pray with you, as well as in the back, to pray for you and to pray with you. I want to challenge you to step out this morning. Receive prayer. Receive what it is the Lord has for you. It may simply be healing. It may be encouragement. It may be a special infilling that will just turn your life upside down. I don't know, but he does. And nothing can happen until you step out. I want to encourage you to do that in this last song, to just step out in prayer. In Jesus' name.